Pursuit of Podcast, a purely guest-centric show focusing on people and organizations that advance positive change. Positivity can be anywhere, and in a time of vast discord, the pursuit of is finding those who champion its causes loudest. Join us as we sit and learn about the pursuits of local leaders in their community. Let's go. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Pursuit of Podcast, where it's truly not us, it's you. I'm Ryan Buck, Artist Development, New Leonard Media. With me is the boss, Mark Wilson, President, New Leonard Media. How are you? Hey, Ryan. I'm doing well. I hit 195 pounds for three reps on a power Wow, that's day. okay. We're done with that. Our guests today are Sarna Saltzman, Executive Director, and Ed Smith, Board Member for Seeds. How are you? Thanks for having us. It's We're so great. It's so nice to have you. Um, Glad to be here. So I think this is our first episode with two guests. Ooh, it is. Good. Yeah. Good. Making Let's use experiment of all the something. mics at the table today. Yeah. So th- th- this has been fascinating. But when you look at seeds, the first thing that comes to mind is the name. It's really appropriately named. Is there a history to that? Is there a reason for that? Uh, well, thanks for liking it. Yes, there is a little bit of a history. Our founder, Pete Munoz, who's still on our board of directors, he and a couple other folks, they came up with this acronym, Seeking Ecology and Education Design Solutions, which is why our name is in all caps, although we rarely use the acronym. And in fact, we've decided to go forth with our name, our full name being Seeds Ecology and Education Center. So it brings the spirit of the acronym out and um, spells it out a little more articulately for your new, you know, someone who's new to the organization. Sure. Well, we talked about this off mic ahead of time, but when you look at an organization like Seeds, you do so much. Mm. And was there a process initially of like putting that elevator pitch together? And did Seeds start off doing all that you do? (laughs) No, I mean, we were just a figment of imaginations. Uh, That's how we started. And it was uh, the burning desire to address global issues held by relatively young graduate school students who all wanted to spend their careers working towards positive solutions and not do that as a side gig, you know, or as a hobby. And so it was started by two engineers and an architect. So that's where the design ethic comes from in the organization, really thinking about the built environment and how to be more intentional with that space and work with nature, designs that work with nature rather than working against nature. So the ideas were always big and lofty and the intersection of ecology and social justice issues were always at the heart of the organization's desires, but what we were doing, we were all just volunteering in our spare time. And Pete helped a local farm build a timber frame extension to their barn. And me and my roommate, we built an urban agricultural space in the parking lot of our apartment building in downtown Traverse City. So we just were scrapping it together. Do things to do good. Do things to do good. With that global perspective in mind. But Mm -hmm. it was an organization. So you returned to Michigan after college, and Seeds had already been started by friends of yours, right? Mm -hmm. Did you communicate with them through college during those few years? Was this something you knew you wanted to do when you came back? No. So I was in grad school in California studying community development, and then I realized I got really homesick for Michigan and the sweet waters and the forests in autumn. So I was trying to figure out how to get home and 
this job that seemed kind of too good to be true popped up in Traverse City, Michigan, where two of the Seeds co-founders also were, who I did know. We were in touch in grad school, and they actually put me on the first board of directors of the organization. Really? So I was like, well, if three of us live in one town, maybe we can see what happens from there. So that's how I ended yeah. up back in Traverse City. Well, what excited me in finding seeds and, and calling Sarna last summer during COVID, I'd spotted a editorial in uh, the Record Eagle. And I'd seen signs about seeds all around town. I've lived here 10 years now, uh, having come from California, but I wasn't really sure what seeds was all about, but education was part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's part of my background. So I said, okay, Sarna, tell me more. Mm -hmm. Front porch, mm -hmm. talk some more. And here I am a year later and I'm involved wow. in, uh, with the board. In so you have a BA in anthropology and sociology mm -hmm. and a master's in community development for the University of California, like you said. Yeah. It seems like this job was tailor-made for you. Would you look back and say, this was my perfect job even in college? Uh, sure. In retrospect, everything looks like it makes a ton of sense. But yeah, my background does suit what this job has become, but that's also because I've been here busy inventing this job as we go too. So it really is a... Inventing. Yeah. That's cool. Very <laughs> entrepreneurial. It is. Yeah. The organization has always had sort of an entrepreneurial bent to it. But back then, did you, did you, you know, looking at your college years, did you think this was something that I could do in a place that I love to live? I... I loved Michigan, and I wanted to be working towards building community intentionally. I've always said I wanted to work at um, co-creating the community that I would feel comfortable and confident retiring into. So oh, still wow. working on that. So going back to your schooling, anthropology, sociology, they're kind of related subjects. Would you say you need awareness of both to succeed in the field that you're in? I mean, anthropology and sociology really are both just awareness of social structures and the human condition. Right. So I think we're all born into that to One some looks degree. Like, you know, more into the past. And nope, they're very similar. And I think they're merging more, although probably academics would disagree with me. But anthropology is a study of the human condition and the human cultures mm -hmm. and really going to a culture which could be in a remote area of the world, or it could be in the offices of Facebook and just sitting back and taking a look at what are the norms of this place? What are their taboos? What is their uh, relationship structure? How is that structured? And really just with no judgment, trying to understand how that culture operates. What are the rules of engagement right. there? Right. Well, you just hit a word that means a lot to me. So when you talk about culture, one of the words in seeds is eco, eco seeds. And that word means a lot to me. So caring for, appreciating, relating in a sustainable way to your environment yeah. is what that's all about. So when you think about anthropology and you think about sociology and other sciences, right. there's a lot to that. And right. what I liked in my first discussions with Sarna with a behavioral science and organizational behavior background myself, is putting a hard edge on things. Because I didn't want to just become a volunteer with an organization that was more touchy-feely. I want right. to really get something where there's impact. Right. Get some stuff done. And you're, Ed, your educational background seems really tailored for the career that you're in. You're in consulting for a long time. 
But your focus on innovative learning is interesting because is it tougher to incorporate that into corporate America over the years, innovative learning? Well, the good news about the corporate America side is that they have more money. And when, <laughs> I, when, I, when, go. I got, <laughs> when I decided after business school to go on, I, I taught seventh and eighth grade as a substitute teacher oh my before I really got my career going. And that ignited a spark. And I said, education is something I care about. So I went on and got two graduate degrees in education in learning technology. And part of that has to do with the systematic way of introducing technology into learning. Right. And it could, you could do that in public education, private education, corporate. And I just ended up choosing to go the corporate route. Right. And, you know, you, you specialize in education and change specialization. Right. Is that helpful to you in your role on the board here? Well, it's, it's becoming more and more relevant, I think. And this is part of what excites me about yeah. having moved to Northern Michigan, which is different. I grew up on one coast, lived for 27 years on the West Coast. And then my wife is a Michigander, so I've moved here. And this is where I'm retired. Is that your tie to Michigan, your wife? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and what I really looked forward to is being able to apply some of what I've come to do and learn in my life with an organization that's ready to take it to a new level. Right. And I felt after talking with Sarna and meeting other board members that there's a willingness and a readiness, including Pete Munoz, you know, the founder, um, to stretch a little bit. So I was thinking about that. You're retired. You live in an amazing place. You can learn the violin, learn how to paint if you don't know how to paint. And there's a lot of different ways that you can serve here. What was it really about seeds that pulled you in? Well, n number one, I've worked with other volunteer efforts since I retired here. And I have to have a good relationship with both the executive director and the board. And I've got to feel a good connection there. And I did from the first day when Sarna and I met on my front porch and we talked about stuff. I felt that uh, we could have an open, no blink your eye conversation and we can be truthful no and open and honest like with that. each mm -hmm. other. That's great. Mm -hmm. And it's been that way ever since. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I learn a new saying every time I sit down with Ed. So the <gasps> no new blink, blink is your new one. <laughs> we're going to use 25 cent words. Oh, there was another one, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pull it back up. <laughs> your website states that your mission is to implement local solutions to global issues at the intersection of ecology, education, and design. Were those three areas of focus from the beginning? And can you talk specifically to the design? And you talked about that a little bit yeah. earlier. Yeah, so design. our name was originally an acronym, Seeking Ecology and Education Design Solutions. So ecology, education, and design, those are our middle names. When we think about design, it started from this built environment perspective, but the design of educational curricula is just as important as the design of a stormwater drain. And the fact that we're very intersectional, I think that was really part of the overarching narrative of the organization. And that's been something that's made sense to everyone who's worked and encountered the organization, although sometimes it's difficult to talk about and articulate well. Um, but now that we can talk about intersectionality, where ecology and education come together is like in a space where 
kids are coming outside and really getting comfortable outside in a forest land and getting interested in bugs and getting interested in soil. And it's really important for the intersections to start to play a bigger role. We've had a long stint as a culture of siloing knowledge and really specializing in knowledge, which has done some amazing magical things. I mean, just look at the medical miracles we have. But we've lost the interplay, the dialogue, and you can see the breakdown in dialogue between us and the environment, right? We have global climate change and fires that are raging out of control uh, every year now. But you can also see that same breakdown happen with people, right? We have a polarized political framework in this country right now that really is not in dialogue. And I think the things are very related. One of the things that excites me about working with Sarna, with the board, with SEEDS, is what their secret sauce is. I, I remember sitting in a living room of another board member with Sarna, and I said, so Sarna, what's th- your secret sauce? What, what's special? What's unique about seeds? What are you most proud of? And she said two things. One is we have the most amazing staff right now that we've had in my time with the organization. And number two, people trust us. When we sign up to do something, when we're asked to show up to do something, we get it done. And we get it done in a way that delivers multiple levels of benefit. When she said those two things, I said, I'm in. And those are real things you're doing. Mm -hmm. These are tangible things. You're educating, you're building. So this may be a heady question, and I'm sorry, but what are the biggest threats to Michigan lands as of today? And how has that changed in the last 10 years? I think over the last 10 years, longer, the threat is also the solution. It's us. You know, Homo sapiens have transformed the fundamental problem. Entire planet. <laughs> and we're the only ones that can do something about it, right. too. So, I mean, that's my short answer to your heady question. That's a really good answer to that question. <laughs> Biodomes, I, I guess, if we want to go into that. But so, can you elaborate in as much detail as you want to on? The historic Barnes Park. Sure. Yeah, that's a really exciting location for a number of reasons. First of all, it's a municipal government-owned park. The layers of relationship over there are very complicated, but that makes it really special, like an ecosystem. So you've got two units of government there. You've got Seeds is there, the Botanic Garden Society is there, and the Traverse City Community Gardens are all there. And that's just within this 50 acres where we've got uh, a variety of native and climate-appropriate gardens going on and a labyrinth that the Botanic Gardens have put in, but we also are growing food for personal use, but also food for donated use. And there's still a lot of it that is for passive recreation as just kind of prairie How are you donating food? Um, Well, Seeds has a farm plot. We have a couple acres under cultivation over there. And um, one of our partners over there is Father Fred Foundation. Absolutely, yeah. And um, so this just started during the pandemic, actually, you know, some staff from Father Fred came to us and said, hey, we want our volunteers just to grow some food. Can we have a patch of land over there? We're like, absolutely. Because we're not Was very that good. an easy thing to do? You Just like, yep, yeah, fine? Uh, yeah, or was it, it not? Was, no, it was pretty it was? easy. Yeah. <laughs> Because you talked about a lot of, you know, a lot of complications, but something like that. Because our land management agreements are so defined in that complicated legalistic formula, (laughs) 
uh, when they said, can we have a patch of land on your property that you manage, we had the authority to be able to say yes very easily. Yeah. And so this year they doubled the amount of area that we're cultivating. Their volunteers and our volunteers are cultivating it together. And all the produce that comes off of that is going to Father Fred. In addition to Brennan uh, as Poasis has been the resident farmer on this property for a number of years now. And his motivation for farming there is to grow seed of heirloom varieties and also create a bunch of produce and cut flowers to donate to um, Father Fred and the pavilions gets the oh. cut flower donation. So that's been a really great That's incredible. One thing in this last part that excites me a lot is the different network of relationships Mm. that we hear about, that I hear, I'm learning more every week about these relationships. And this, I think, my management consulting experience was all about driving large-scale systemic change. That's what I did for 25 years. So there's a lot of opportunity to achieve that in the ecosystem realm of rural northern Michigan, really around the whole country. But coming up with the right collaborative structure and the right set of key partners is really what we're looking to do even better at Mm -hmm. with Seeds right now. So really looking at those strategic relationships carefully and very intentionally so that we can move needles in the directions we all want them moved. Mm -hmm. So for you as a board member, is it a diverse board? Do you enjoy interacting with your other board members? Absolutely. It's a great group of board members. And I think it's wonderful also that we have what I would call legacy board members from our founder, you know, from founding wow. days and newer board members. Plus our the chairman of our board, John Taylor, has been in that chair for a period of time. So he's seen some ups and downs in the business cycle and he can be helpful in steering us well as the head of our uh, board. So are there a fair amount of paid positions and volunteer positions, or is it mostly volunteer? Mostly paid. I think payroll was 77 employees last period. Wow. Um, So over a couple dozen of those are full-time regular staff, and then a whole handful are seasonal or temporary staff. Our EcoCore program, which is a career exploration program, those are all seasonal employees. Oh, you're good. So I was going to note that on your website, you know, you have a lot of people photographed Mm -hmm. and some tremendous beards. Yeah, really. Like I said, we've got the most fantastic staff we've ever had in our history. Just beard based. Really tremendous. So uh, the EcoCore crew, that's a resource that you provide to others, correct? How does that work? Yeah. So our EcoCore program is in that Civilian Conservation Corps tradition. There's hundreds of cores across the country. And our core is focused on green collar career exploration. Mm -hmm. So we think of green collar as any kind of business company activity that is good for the bottom line, but also good for people and for planet at the same time. So these are the kinds of career opportunities we really want to open people's eyes to, and we want the marketplace to grow these types of opportunities. And what's the best place to gain awareness of that? I mean, it really depends on the angle that you're interested in. So a lot of different things. There's a lot of different things. In fact, any, any avenue can be greened up, right? Like It's one thing to build a house, a stick-built house, and use kind of classic materials that maybe 
don't have the best insulation or the most efficient heating and cooling system, and maybe your materials were inexpensive and they're off-gassing for a period of time in their lifespan. But a green-built house is going to be tight, well-insulated, super-efficient appliances and is going to have healthy indoor air quality. So green building versus building. You can go green from any of the building trades. You can go green from any of any career path. That right. that's my belief. Any career path can go green. So let's just all go go green there. Go green. So you have a lot of partnerships with schools. Yeah, that's very critical. I think to what that's you a do. Big part of our. How business. do you do that? How do you maintain those relationships? Is that uh, you? Well, it takes a village, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're being modest, um, just a little bit. Well, no, it really does take a lot of people. I, the biggest part of our current business model right now is our after-school programs, which I think is a lot of what you're referring to in our, yeah. the, the 11 schools in the region that were formally partnered with both of us receiving state education funding dollars to provide after-school enrichment activities for wow. the entire population's worth of kids. Now, we can't serve all the kids every day, although we try at Rapid City, for example. <laughs> but yeah, these relationships are five-year contracts, Congress oh. willing, knock on wood. And so they're renewable grants, and we're there doing after-school services four days a week, the entire school year. That's interesting. And then at least six weeks of camp every summer. So that's what we're in the middle of right now and what Mark went out on a field trip today. You did. Oh, yeah. This is fun? It, it was. It was great, actually. A lot of well-spoken, passionate young crew members uh, speaking highly of the program. We, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but there's, a, I think, a misconception of a nonprofit being a nonprofit and you know not needing revenue and raising money. Can you talk a little bit about funding? Uh, grants have to be secured. We'll take it all. And it's, it's not an easy process. It takes... No a lot of time to do what you do. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, gosh, I think about 60% of our income are these state education grants. And that's, I mean, government grants are their own beast and each department has its own way that it likes to speak and the forms it likes to use and the databases (laughs) it will allow you to communicate through. And then we have another... Our second biggest chunk of money are probably, they swap roles, but private foundation grants like Rotary Charities or family foundations like the Olson Foundation, Mm -hmm. they've been really supportive of us and our mission and our projects. And then also we do fee-for-service work, which our EcoCore does a lot of fee-for-service work. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting to because that's a neat... Uh, yeah, really cool aspect. You can just you hire us to come yeah. fix up your garden at your Make house. Make things better. Yeah. And municipalities hire us to work on their trails and parkland improvements. Yeah. So w- we can get hired by any number of places. We can also do that work through grant funded sources. Yeah, and I also heard about partnerships with other nonprofits doing good work in our community. For example, Homestretch Nonprofit Housing, yeah. which is Friends of ours have been on the podcast. I, I heard about the work that Seeds did uh, over the there Oakwood by the Oakwood f- housing that's about to open up here on Eighth Street. Oh, we did a that little one. bit of landscaping work there. Oh, okay, okay. What's really exciting? So 
full disclosure, I'm on the board of Homestretch, which you guys did a show on. So anyone who's curious about that affordable <laughs> housing developer should go look at In Pursuit of Podcast. Oh, that's really um, nice of you. <laughs> to hear about that, that interview. And so as a nonprofit housing developer, you know, I'm passionate about making housing available to folks and passionate about greening up our housing right. infrastructure. But the executive director there, John Stimson, and I have had a lot of conversations about how to leverage these types of affordable housing projects into talent pipeline development. So developing the pipeline of trades talent that is moving through our system yeah. in this region. And so the Grand Traverse Band gave a 2% grant to Homestretch for the Honor Project, where they're building eight homes in the Village of Honor. Broke ground yesterday. That's which broke ground yesterday. That is extraordinary. Yeah, and SEEDS is written into that grant. So that's where an example of a grant-funded work opportunity right. where we're going to provide our EcoCore member, crew members to support that construction project, right. and they're going to get to work under very experienced trades contractors. Incredible. Well, and along this line, with the green jobs, the green economy, what one thing that excited me in coming to Seeds and joining the board is the whole notion of the talent pipeline. Mm -hmm. And these 11 communities where we have these after-school programs are funded through the federal and state budgets to help lift up their outcomes, to help the students succeed at elementary, middle, and high school levels. And these are future workforce, green workforce, for our region. So whatever we can do, not only within the four corners of these grants, but also in these communities who trust us and where we have embedded staff, full-time and part-time, this is one of the things that as a board we're looking at very strategically right now. What can we do to deepen our roots, sure. so to speak, yeah. in these communities <laughs> and offer some of these other services to go greener and to reduce the carbon you know, emissions and so on? They say to heal an ecosystem, you connect more of itself to itself. And I think that's how we approach our programming. We're very place-based and we want to find if we're rooted in middle school education programming? How can we take the adjacent step and encourage those middle schoolers to get excited about joining the EcoCore? Is, is later it tough in to get them school? engaged? Is, are there, you know, because I'm going to ask you a question later about a quote uh, in an article I read. Uh-oh, this is the gotcha moment. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Just kidding. But it, are, are you finding it difficult to engage that particular age group in this are there other things that are more exciting to them, sports, what what have you? I mean, are they taken away from this kind of thing? Are you finding it's kind of an easy sell for middle schoolers? I think it's a both. It's hard and easy. Um, yes, there are things we, we have to compete for attention with, including sports. There's also access issues, right? We can't provide transportation for everybody all the time. Okay. That said, we hire talented staff who want to do nothing more than hang out with middle schoolers. Right. And middle schoolers know, yeah. they feel that excitement and they want to do something more interesting than play on their phones and watch TV after school. They know they can come after school and get a meal and healthy snacks as part of the program. That sometimes is enough. But we offer some really dynamic programming in addition to helping you with your homework, which maybe you have trouble with and we're there to just 
help you through that. We're doing science experiments. We're going outside for walks and learning about nature and biology. We have a whole bunch of really cool eco-STEM lesson plans that we focus on. So we're, we're doing science, technology, engineering, and math, but we're trying to bring the ecosystem to have the largest voice in that science and technology right, right. space. Tapping maple trees? Yeah. Forest okay. Area Middle School. That sounds Joe tremendous. Kreider brought us an idea, and he said the school used to have a sugaring shack, and the school would love to have it back, and he even had a couple places to get some of the funding. We were able to match that funding with more funding and and rebuild the sugar shack for that school. Joe gets to use it in the after-school program, but now the whole school gets to use it for any teacher that wants to utilize it. (laughs) And we have community gardens at a lot of the schools. Like, It's very, again, place-based. So the site coordinators who are in charge of recruiting the students is what you asked about. Like, Their job is to go find out what will be of interest to these students. Trout Unlimited. Yeah, and Marion, Aaron um, started a program connected with the Trout Unlimited volunteers down there in that chapter. And they came out and were delighted to show kids how to fly fish. And the kids were delighted to either expand their skills because they already knew a little bit or learn something new that they hadn't been exposed to before. Interacting with adults. See, this is part Mm -hmm. of the whole learning model that is covered under this 21st century learning center program. That's the grant. Is interacting with adults as well as your peers in school. It's so good for these children to to be involved in. I, I think it's amazing. Amazing. But Sarna, in a 2013 article I read, you were quoted as saying, and again, maybe a heavier question, but ecology and social justice move hand in hand. Hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I, I was really affected by that statement, and I think it's a great one. I heard Van Jones speak at a Bioneers conference in 2000, I don't know what, and he very, I don't know if you know who he is, but um, he's very Googleable, uh, very articulate fellow, and he outlined why the environmental movement was failing and why the social justice movements were failing because they weren't working together, and that it was at the crossroads where there was hope. And that gave me were they goosebumps. finding similar reasons why they were failing? They just didn't have a big enough coalition to get everything that needs to be done done. We're talking about systemic change here, right? right? And it's not enough to just care about polar bears to get people to green their lifestyles. And it's not enough to just say kids need to be fed to make sure that our food system is not destroying the planet. And fed in in the right ways. Yeah. I mean, our food system, if you take the whole thing, is the number one contributor of greenhouse gas emissions on the planet. So together – we start building regenerative agricultural systems that feed nutritious food to children. And those children grow up strong and resilient and become the kind of leaders that we need, that we're desperate for, to really be able to use their voice to make the world in a new. In I, a new. I think there's an, another important aspect of this, too, that, that ties into tribal practices. And one thing in moving to northern Michigan, where I grew up in New Jersey— was part of Lenny Lenape Indian tribes. You know, my son lived and worked in Northern California in tri- on tribal lands. He went to Humboldt State University. And you talk about seven generations. So right. when you think about paying it forward, 
and you think about ecology and you think about the existential challenges as a planet we're facing right now, right. well, we need to bring everything to bear to achieve sustainability. Right. And education is one piece of that. Practices in the environment for ecology, for the common good, right. is also an important We've got part of it. one planet to live on. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel really good to hear you say that, Ed, too. And to know that Seeds is kind of contributing to that because once upon a time, tribal citizens, children were taken from their homes in order to be educated and assimilated into the new colonial way. And here we have organizations like Seeds almost doing the opposite, teaching the kids exactly what tribal nations have known for thousands of years as far as reciprocation with the land and the relationship that we have to the land. Exactly. We need to re-indigenize ourselves, I think, as a... That's global a great community. way to put that. I, I don't think I've ever heard that term before, re-indigenized, but that's extraordinary. If you well, look at the people from an anthropological lens who are have taken care of places, I mean, you, to take care of people, you have to take care of the place that feeds and you know shelters the people. Right. And so it's the people who live in place for a long time who grow in dialogue with that place that end up making like amazing gardens basically to coexist in. And one of my personal goals as part of the the seeds board is to work in a more integrative and inclusive way. And Mark helped me understand recently what TEK is all about. Traditional ecological knowledge, which is all over the world. It's not unique to North America. Right. And you talk about the link to anthropology and you think about ecological practice and it's beyond just the western science part it's all of the traditions and the cultural aspects and if we can integrate at the curriculum level better lessons learned and proven ways and means of achieving sustainability smartly on a local or regional level because one size doesn't fit all around the planet Nevada is very different. You know, Santa Fe, New Mexico is very different than northern Michigan. Right. And if we can get that into the young people, then maybe we can get that into the echelons of governance. Because this was not taught to me when I was growing up. Right. You know, and and this was not a thing. Ecology or respect for the environment was not told. And I think it's amazing what you're doing, educating the young. But you're also quoted in the same article – is saying, quote, I dream of the day when it's true that every child finds that learning how to eat from the garden to the table is as natural as playing a video game. You also liken a fungus as a biological metaphor for a social network, Mm -hmm. which, thank you, I didn't know what mycelia was Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. Now I I know. But what place does technology have with seeds? Oh, I mean, technology is a miracle. It's a tool, right? Right. Humans are tool users, so whether a tool is used for good or for ill is really, again, up to us. So, yeah, technology is critical. We're recording right now using a bunch of cool magic. Knowledge sharing right now with the world. Yeah. Well, what, podcasting. I, I have a point of view on this. One, one thing in, after my college degrees is instructional systems technology. That's the degree specialty I have. And the word technology is a systematic way of solving a problem. It isn't necessarily something you plug into the wall. 
it's how you systematically solve a problem. Right. right. You know, and showing students, demonstrating, having them hands-on tap a tree, a maple tree, to create and that's then boil. technology for getting sugar and calories. That, that's a technology. It's a different way of, of framing technology. That's mm-hmm. right. That's Which exactly is, right. Which is, it's not just a computer. It's right. technology yeah. is a broader term. This bottle is a technology. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, that, is, that is real good because too often do we focus on the negative byproduct of our technologies. Right. Yeah. Right. Tapping a tree. Well, and when you think about it, I mean, biomimicry, is that a word you're familiar with? I am now. I'm really glad about it. <laughs> It'd be fun to look biomimicry. that one up. Biomimicry. <laughs> learning. Wow. So, I mean, any challenge that us mere humans are facing currently is something that has happened over and over in the four billion years of history that Earth has existed. And nature has solved all of the problems we face over and over again with any number of technologies. You want strong tensile fiber? Look to a spider. You want echolocation in dark environments? Look to the bat. You want built environments that stay cool in the desert? Check out what termites are doing. So I think that Opening up a technological dialogue with the natural world is one of the smartest things that we could decide to do. Right, you're, you're yep. right. Because you brought up fungus, and uh, we'll have to look it up offline. But there was a TED talk about data storage in fungus. Heck yeah! Yeah, okay, I read so that check too. this yeah. out about. So if you look at a map of mycelium, which is the miles and miles. Oh, here of we go. Get, get started on mycelium. Uh, under, yeah. My uh, son Europe. is all about mycelium under, too. Just any square oh, anyway. foot of soil could have like seven miles of mycelial strands um, yeah. woven through it. Yeah. And, and the mushroom is the fruiting body that those mycelium sometimes produce. But if you look at a map of the mycelial network in a piece of soil, and then you look at the map of brain neural patterns and you look at the map of the internet and you look at the map of dark matter it's all the same pattern and if you talked like another pioneer speaker was paul stamus he's a maven of mushrooms he's a mycologist and just a brilliant visionary you can find him on the internet saying this like mushrooms are trying to help us save the planet they're trying to give us um, to respect them more it, well, it, well, for pop culture to understand it is like if you think of the movie Avatar and on mm-hmm. that planet, all of their history is recorded in this tree. Right. And the yeah. data storage there. And that's and real. It, like, helps you, yeah, helps you make that like mental leap into how... Things like that. But the Avatar example is really interesting because the new research that's coming out, like the scientific journal-based peer-reviewed research on trees is blowing socks off of people, finding out that trees uh, communicate with each other through their root systems. They share nutrients back and forth between their root systems. The old trees parent the young trees, and trees are communicating and sharing resources with trees of other species. And all of that is facilitated with mushrooms. I see maybe a a, a Pixar movie about this. We could do an animated movie. But then it would also show how sometimes they also go to war. Sure, right. But then it also explains issues of man-made forests Mm -hmm. and why it doesn't work out as well for decades because mm-hmm. it, they're not staggered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Sarna, I have to ask, mm-hmm. Assistant Cook, ah! Antarctic Support Services, McMurdo Station, Antarctica. Yes, sir. What 
is that all about? That was my quote-unquote real job after college. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people decide to go different places, but this is the first I've ever seen anybody decided to go to Antarctica. Uh, There's not that many people that make it there. It's part of the attraction. Um, my bucket <laughs> but list assistant is to cook, hit. You haven't talked. That's how I, I mean, got there. I was trying to hit every. I'm still trying to hit every continent. That's my bucket list. Wow. So I thought I'd get yeah. the tough one out of the that, way. That is good. So my uncle went and worked in Antarctica no about 30 years ago, okay. and uh, he says it like this. He says, "You go once for the experience. You go twice for the money. Yep. And if you go a third time, it's because you have nothing else." in the world like oh. you have no other life <laughs> what's wild is there were people there who were chronic or career seasonal workers and yeah. they would go from antarctica where it's sunshine 24 hours a day well sunshine's kind of a stretch but it was daylight 24 hours a day and then they would go work in alaska for more 24-hour <laughs> days. So just never night. Never night. That Creepy. really kind of creeped me out, But too. you cooked for up to 1,100 people a day. Yeah, you Whoa. got a good resume but finder. what there. was your specialty? Do you have, what's your, what's the best thing you cook? Oh, it wasn't like that, right? It wasn't like that <laughs> Mashed <at all>. potatoes. <laughs> I didn't get to choose what we were making. You just had to. It, it, was, so, it was all Sodexo. <laughs> well, the contract was, it was subcontracted out to some an ex-Navy wow. shop. And so we had clean kitchens, but the food was not that good. <laughs> well, it fed the people who needed to eat. It did. It did. That's fascinating so how can listeners support seeds how can they donate are are there what's the best way to support this organization yeah i mean you can learn more at ecoseeds.org or ecoseeds tc is our handle on twitter or we're not really on twitter right now but facebook and instagram especially um, that's a great place to learn more and all the buttons for donating and volunteering and we're hiring also and that's probably going to be true whenever you listen to this podcast so please like if you're interested in a career with us or part-time job with us check out our web page that way too ecoseeds.org yep as the website. Is there anything else that you would like to share, either of you, with the listeners of our podcast? I, I think as a board member of Seeds, one of our goals is to smooth some of our staffing all year long. So when we think about these EcoCore teams, they work more so in the summer months than in the winter months. And the Historic Barnes Park is one of the places where we see opportunity sure. to do more on a year-round basis. So right. we think about where would your donation money go? We want to sort of get kickstart funding for some new program ideas that we're still germinating. Yeah. Um, right. And it has to do with sustainability outside of these grant programs. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to build out our vision as an eco-learning center. And this is a vision that, again, the Grand Traverse Band is really helping us and invested in right now and in the past. But to build out an eco-learning center at Historic Barnes Park that includes hands-on workshops, like a woodworking shop and a food production space, so that we can do more of this work in the winter months, the indoor work in the winter months. and And it's possible to be done. I think it is. And what's great, too, is the beta bus system travels, you know, in that circuit. So we have access to that location for people who can't necessarily, you know, find private transportation to get there. That's amazing. Ecoseeds.org is the website. 
Sarna and Ed, thank you so much for your pursuits and to all of those who pursue along with you creating a healthy and positive ecosystem for all of us to enjoy and teaching the young to be positive stewards of the environment and themselves. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening and for pursuing the positive. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, again, the episode is The Pursuit of Seeds, ecoseeds.org, E-C-O-S-E-E-D-S. Want to thank our guests, Sarna Salzman and Ed Smith for joining us. And we want to give a big shout out to our supporters, the Tin Lid Hat Company, tinlidco.com. Use promo code THEPURSUITOF for 40% off to our listeners and for general inquiries, podcast production, audio, video production, visual production, newleonard.com, N-E-W-L-E-O-N-A-R-D.com. Check us out.